Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So if you're navigating different cultures, you have to be self-aware to know this is going to be perceived as this. And as it's perceived as this, I have to make sure if I'm okay with the consequences. In order for you to grow, you need to find out the toxic elements of whatever traditions you've had, and then accept what you like and what you don't. That was Tayo Roxon, today's guest, a true polymath. He is a consultant, a writer, a speaker, a poet, a professor, and we had a wonderful conversation around his expertise, this idea of cultural fluency, making connections across cultures. Tayo grew up in five countries and four continents, And as a minority, everywhere he went, he learned how to turn his identity crisis into a mission to help you use your difference to make a difference. So we touch on a lot of big topics here that pertain to all travelers, cultural fluency, identity, self-awareness, unlearning cultural constructs, the key to changing your behavior. We talk about his experience growing up as a third culture kid, in some cases under a dictatorship and how that impacts him today. We talk about the balance we need to find as travelers of really being who we are, but also fitting into that culture that we are either temporarily or permanently a part of, depending on how long you're staying. Tayo gives an outstanding practical tip for building cultural fluency as a traveler immediately, right when you get off the plane, almost immediately. And and shares a wonderful power question you can use to really start digging into a culture when you arrive. We talk about why it is important to get used to failing, to making those cultural faux pas. There's so much in this conversation. I know you're going to love it. Plus, I want to give a shout out to somebody in the community who's making some plans to travel possibly forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. You never know where the road's going to take you. All of that and so much more happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This 
is a show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Love, love, love the topics we cover on today's show, especially as an expat living overseas. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to taking your culture with you out into the world as a traveler, maybe somebody who is spending an extended time abroad. There are so many questions around cultural fluency and and how to really connect with the culture you're visiting, around your own identity and and self-awareness as a traveler. There's just a ton to unpack here, and, and we get into it big time with a true expert. This is what Tayo does. He's been doing it his whole life, personally, living all over the world, growing up outside of his parents' culture, and he has vowed to use his global identity to make an impact on the world. This is what he does. This is the world he lives in. These are subjects that he talks about as a professor, as a, an educator, as a podcaster, as a leader, as a community builder, and all the things that he is. And we get into just so many great topics. So I know you're going to love the interview. Stick around on the back end, by the way. We are going to talk a little bit about this challenge that comes up during this show. And I want to remind you of that and leave you with a little challenge at the end of this episode. I will share my favorite quote from this show that Tayo shares with us and something he is doing that we can all do, a motto that we can all embrace and really live by. Now, let's slip and slide into this wonderful conversation, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Tayo Roxon, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here at Jason Moore. <laughs> Finally, we got you here, man. It's been long overdue. I feel like uh, we've been running in the same travel podcasting circles, at least for a while. And I'm, I'm, and nobody can see the video that we have set up, but I'm digging your office, like all the framed things. Yeah. You know, <laughs> got it together. Well, it's uh, it's an extension of my personality and interest, you know, my my love for basketball and my my nationality and my country and all things black and royal. So yeah, you know, it's it's I, I feel like with the digital world that has uh, you know even been enhanced with COVID, your background is is the next best thing to your office. So uh, I spend a lot of time on it. Well. We're certainly going to talk about culture and identity and some of those big topics that you cover in your work today. I'm really excited for that. I have to ask you where you are because I know you were all over the place growing up. That's another thing we're going to talk about. But where are you based now? New York City. Big Apple. Yeah. Okay. And how do you like having roots? (laughs) You know, (laughs) sometimes I I still don't feel like I always have roots because I always tell people that I... I'm Nigerian. I've just stayed in the in the in the U.S. actually for just a little bit longer. But uh, it, it's it's an interesting paradox because I, I don't want the audience to feel sorry for me. But a realization that I came recently was that I actually haven't spent a holiday with family in years. I was thinking of it when Christmas came around, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is like the maybe seventh Christmas in a row I've, I've been by myself." And it's always due to circumstances. Again, it's not a sad situation because, you know, my parents, my mom and dad are in Nigeria. My brother 
uh, is in Tampa with his wife and the youngest is, is also in Tampa visiting him um, now. And so it, it's, it's one of those things where you get used to finding the balance between alone and loneliness sometimes. But then you also find if you're an ambivert like me, you find yourself really energized uh, by yourself because I'm actually more introverted than I appear. And so with introversion, your energy, um, you know, it gets, you know, charged up during those moments. And I, I'm such a creative, I'm a writer, speaker, uh, consultant, poet, and, and professor. So a lot of my work is all research-based. Um, and so when I'm not being a practitioner, I use these moments to just actually work on the stuff that I've been taking notes on throughout the years. Yeah. So, so you're yeah. hunkering down and kind of, I mean, at the time of recording, we're about to turn into the new year, not to date the episode. It's <laughs> going to come out later, but this time of year, what is your process like for reflecting and goal setting and things like that? I mean, you've, like you just mentioned all the things you are and more, and you're, you're kind of a real Renaissance man in many ways, I feel. That's like the sense I get. And, and you've traveled all over the world. You've lived all over the world. You know, it's, I mean, you got a lot going on, man. Like, how do you... <laughs> Thank you. Well, it, it wasn't always that way. So I'll tell you. So I describe myself as a polymath in progress. And polymath, for those um, that are wondering what it is, it's someone that studies multiple fields. And, it, you know, the synonym is a Renaissance person, like you were saying. Uh, my, my process is, is it, it honestly depends on the day. So if I'm in my educator hat, right, I teach at two universities, for example, uh, that day will be spent, you know, figuring out what I want the curriculum to say, what I want to actually challenge against, because I, I like challenging system. And so like, I, I, you know, people say global here, but they, they really mean EU and US centric views. So that, that's an example, right? So I'll start off with that. And then I'll like list out the different ways to, to help that out there, maybe send it out to someone or create videos or content around that. If I'm being my consultant hat, which is what I spend a lot of my time on, I have clients uh, mostly in three regions, uh, sometimes four. So it could be EMEA, right? Europe, Middle East, Africa. It could be East Coast, be Pacific Coast. It could be Latin, Latin America. And depending on the time of the day <laughs> I need to be up, uh, it would be something along the lines of diversity, inclusion, um, equity, or anti-racism. And then that day is completely different because my day could start as early as 3.30, all right, depending on the time zone, and it can end at midnight. And some days I've done, you know, those three to four time zones in a day, and that just means an interesting <laughs> sleep schedule for that period. And then... Um, I'm into sports a lot. For those that can't see, I play a lot of uh, basketball. So I'm fortunate to live in a place where there's a basketball court nearby and there's a gym downstairs. And so I usually use those moments to, to recharge and, and then, and then uh, you know, walk around the city, maybe to clear my head. I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. Uh, those are my ways to recharge. So that, yeah, those, those are the ways that I just get into the routine. It's just, you know, finding intentionality with the variations I have. All right. Well, I, I, how do you prioritize your curiosity? Well, to, to answer this question, I have to take you back because someone could listen to this story and wonder, this guy's doing all these things. So I, I graduated from college in 2011 with um, no prospect of a job, right? I was uh, this, you know, Nigerian Good kid. Good way to graduate. Would, Here I am yeah. graduating. No prospects for a job. <laughs> no prospects. And, and I graduated with honors. I had led a bunch of multiple organizations. I was the head of marketing at two nonprofits, but it all came down to my 
nationality. You know, a lot of these companies weren't sponsoring visas for uh, Nigerians. They, you know, they would tell me like, oh, you know, you know, you're a great candidate, but you know, we just don't sponsor. Uh, <laughs> and then I was getting a lot of those, and I, and I graduated with a marketing degree as well as business management and a minor in French, and. I wound up having to convince someone I'd interned for before to give me a job. And this is around the time, you know, Twitter was maybe two years old. And I was, you know, it's like heavy in social media. And I said, hey, I, I could, you know, do this thing that you're social media thing. People didn't know what it was. I could do it. And I have a marketing degree, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, he eventually hired me. And then they switched my job to sales I without any orientation. And I was like, whoa. Um, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm supposed to have a quarter of $10,000 a month and I'm supposed to figure this out. But, you know, I felt like I couldn't look a gift horse in the mouth because I finally gotten a job and that meant I had a visa, which meant I could stay here. So I sucked it up. And then 2012, August 22, I had this car accident and I was, you know, in this small town in Virginia and I, you know, 22 years old at the time, saying to myself as I'm about to, I feel like I'm about to die because I'm, looks like the car's about to flip over the bridge. And I hadn't done anything I said I was going to do. I was this kid who had been writing since he was in middle school, high school. I have the books still now. I, inspired by the late Nelson Mandela, lived under two, mili- two military dictatorships and three military regimes, grew up in five countries, four continents, and I had all these ideas of bridging culture divides. And here I was about to die at 22 without anything to show for it, at least I thought. And then, um, I, you know, adrenaline kicked in. I pushed through the doors <laughs> and I somehow survived without any injuries. But my car was totaled and cars were just zooming past me. And I was like, all right, I have to change, you know, my routine. And so the idea of how to decide the priority became so important. I quit my job. And if you're not a citizen, it's either you get married, you go to, jo- you, you get another job or, you know, you, you find, you go to school. And so I chose the school route and I knew I needed to change my environment. New York City was always that city for me because it reminds me of my hometown, Lagos, and I love organized chaos. And so I moved here without knowing anyone. Um, this was my first intentional move. I moved here without knowing anyone. And I just became intent on making New York City my campus. And I started sharing. I, I launched my website. I started sharing more of my writings. And then, uh, you know, 2014, I launched a podcast as an ex- you know, experiment. It was an experiment to figure out my thesis. I felt like we lived in such a mosaic of a world, but we still have problems connecting across cultures. And upon reflection, I was like, you've been in between all these cultures and you've seen all these things. Why don't you interview people like yourself and then maybe be that bridge? And along the way, as I was doing it, I would go to school at night and then interview people from different parts of the world. And then the podcast started to take off. And then I was in this interesting position where I was like, the podcast is popular, but even though people don't know what podcast is, if you remember, you remember that time. No one was like, people were like, what the heck is a podcast? And so, um, and so uh, I wasn't getting any money, but you were getting, I was getting popular in the circle we were in, um, but it wasn't paying the bills. And I made this decision that baffled my parents and everyone in my school. I wasn't going to any internship uh I, I I didn't, you know, go to any of the companies that came to the, the school. I was like, I'm making this podcast my career. And they all thought I was out of my mind. And I, and I, you know, and for a while it looked like they were right. Cause I, then I, then again, graduated 
without another, without any prospects. This is me with an MBA degree. I had just gotten fired from the job that I was interning at. And then there was no other job. And so I was just doing all these odd jobs. And then um, I, I felt the difference with this time, between this time and the last time, not graduating any prospects, I, I was happier. I was broke, but I was happier because I felt like I was in the precipice of something. And then I just continued, you know, down the line. And then someone from my podcast said, hey, could you, would you consider speaking? And I'd always wanted to speak, but I didn't know I was ready. And then I spoke. And then as I spoke, people started to resonate with the messages. And I realized I could be more intentional about this. And then I started see, realizing that what I did was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then I... um became more intentional and started creating frameworks around that. And then that led to where I am today. I don't know how long with it. I mean, I, I'm only silent because I'm just taking in, trying to take in all of your experiences and, and figure out where to go next, because that is, well, I mean, you've done a lot of talks now, you know, you said something you never thought you would do. People thought you were crazy with the podcast thing, which is, keep let, uh, leading you down further that down that path, I guess, to where you're at now. And you know, going back to where you started, uh, I want to hear about growing up as a third culture kid, because this is a big part about what you do as the son of a diplomat. And then, yeah, I have some questions from there. But this always fascinates me because I am somebody who traveled around a lot for many, many years. But I grew up in one place, the suburbs of Philadelphia, and I had that one experience of the suburbs of Philadelphia, whatever that experience is. Everybody can only have the experience of growing up at one time, and it's just a unique thing for everybody. And I, I always wonder what it would have been like to grow up in multiple countries. I've heard a, such a varying uh, degree of... I guess, experiences as it relates to how that still impacts people as an adult. What was your experience growing up in different countries all over the world for all those years? How, how did it shape you into the person you are today? I mean, these are a lot of big questions, so I don't want to go with the multi-tier questions because that's a no-no as a podcaster. But I guess the easiest thing would just be to talk about your experience growing up. Well, the good thing as podcasters is I can, you know, pick up on what you're you're trying to get me to do here. So I'm I'm gonna paint that picture. Uh, born in Nigeria, um, from 100% Nigerian, and my dad moved to, you know, he got posted out to Sweden a year in. We didn't remember much of it. My middle brother was born, then I came back to Nigeria. So I spent much of the first decade under, you know, in Nigeria. Right, first decade of my life. Now, during that moment. Nigeria was undergoing uh, several military regimes. I, I spent my time, my first decade, understanding the nuances of what it's like to live under a dictatorship and a, and a tyrant with uh, General Sani Abacha. And so, you know, I didn't necessarily think it was, you know, it was normalized for me. I didn't necessarily think it was like a bad thing. You know, you hear faint gunshots here. You see the people that you admire in exile and you hear about this human right violation, your parents will tell you the rules early on. I knew so many rules early on what not to say, what not to do in order to be alive. But, you know, I went to school just like just like a lot of the kids during those well, moments. And can, you, you were. I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to ask you, what what are some of those? It was an example of like some of those rules that you had to live by as a child. Oh, well, you couldn't say certain things. I'm, I'm a very inquisitive kid. And so 
if I ask the wrong question, for example, about a government, like if a government, this, I don't know, arrested someone the other day or put something there and I said it to the wrong person outside of my house, that could signal that, wait, are you for this person? Should we watch your family? <laughs> right? So it was one of those type of things where, you know, uh, my parents were always trying to get me to be, okay, whatever you say here, you just don't say it outside because Nigeria is a country with over 250 ethnic groups. And, you know, when there's sometimes tribalism, you say something to the wrong person, it could be that. So it was that. And then 1999 happened, we transitioned to civilian rule and there was like this hope in the air. Prince Charles was there. Nelson Mandela was there. You know, Reverend Jackson Jackson was there. So we, we were all there. We, we recognized that it was a moment of opportunity for us. And now my dad could get posted again because he had, he had stopped getting posted because of whatever <laughs> the government decided. And um, so 99 to 2000, a lot of things happened. My youngest brother was born. Uh, my dad you know, I got accepted into a, a, a secondary school or middle school in Nigeria. And then we got the word that my dad was getting posted to Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso is a French-speaking country in West Africa. Nigeria is an English-speaking country in West Africa. We were excited, though. I was excited because I'd only heard about stories of Sweden, but I'd never been. I, I mean, I'd been, but I never, you know, I didn't have the sensory images of it other than the pictures of it. And so this was like, yo, we're going to travel. And so I got to, to, to Burkina Faso with all the excitement in the world. I was this skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country in an American international school going through puberty. It was just 10 years old me. And then you start to get an interesting realization dawn on you. I was in a very, very small school. It's a hundred people or so from pre-K to 12th grade. And then um, <laughs> I remember the, the teacher trying to say my name, Tayo short for I can tell I can, she was like, I could tell you, I could tell you. And then I was like, I was trying to correct her. And then the kids were snickering and then everyone was there. And I was like, oh, just call me Roxton. Um, and I, I, I remember feeling like I was losing a sense of my identity. I was like, I can't believe I'm like giving into this. And, and then I was like, oh gosh, I'm so happy I have an English sounding last name. And I'm like, what? I'm giving my own culture away. But that was a lot of my middle school experience where I was, I had a huge identity crisis, right? I, I felt I, I became a good basketball player in there, but I was always dealing with this internal crisis of, can I fully be myself and be accepted? Because I had like this image of this, kids laughing at me and trying to say my name. And so I became a true chameleon there. That was when I started to build my cultural fluency. So when I came back to Nigeria for high school, I went to boarding school. You know, at this point I was flexing, <laughs> which side should I be? And, and the, the kids thought I was American and I was like, no, I'm Nigerian. And, and I, was like, I was like, it's all good. But uh, it, it all led to me being 17 when my dad got posted to Vietnam. And I said to myself, I'm going to sign a contract with myself to forever be myself, regardless of where I am. And be myself means all of the experiences I've had and whatever comes of that. And the third culture kid is, you know, the, 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 you being, you know, having your parents' culture, your culture and all the mix. And so I just full, truly embraced it. You know, my dad got posted to Vietnam. I was there for a little bit. Then we, I came to Virginia for school because I got accepted in university and then I really, you know, once I came to here, I really thrived. I got a lot of microaggressions, right? Typical, but I was used to this at this point, right? Because I've always been asked all these weird questions. People would ask me about Lion King and all those things, but I was, you know, whatever. 
I, 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 I navigated it and then started taking notes. Like these are the things I need to, to, to fight for. And I, I was able to start talking back and, and, and it wasn't holding back the way I used to, but I found that balance. And that was my experience because when you grow up black on four continents, it's so fascinating that because some people will react with you to you in a very familiar way, like you know, like oh you're back, you know I'll give you a nod. And some people will, will be afraid of you, and some people will follow you. I remember living in Vietnam, uh, we were followed, right? It was the first time we, we were followed, but it wasn't for a bad experience. It was because we were the first black people that were living in that area, and they were like, you know, they were fascinated by that. But then I've also been followed for the other reason, where I remember going into uh, a restaurant one time in in uh, a very unfortunately named town called Lynchburg, Virginia, and then everyone just paused once I got in and they were looking at my wallet, like what I was going to take the wallet, and it kept happening multiple times. And I was like, "This is so interesting." And I came to America during Obama's regime, and so in a very conservative school. And so uh, I was figuring out a juxtaposition. So for me, my experience being the third culture kid has been constantly building cultural fluency and figuring out how to be myself and fight for what I want to fight for simultaneously. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the US Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Let's get back to the show. How do you build cultural fluency as a traveler, somebody that is 
maybe spending a shorter amount of time in a place? So you get used to your first points of contact, um, taxi drivers, uh, people on, on the plane. And anytime I move, and even if it's short term, I'm always, always ask, uh, the taxi drivers, Hey, you know, what, you know, what's it like, what's a typical day like for you here? I just want to know what a typical day like is for you. And then it go, you go down several rabbit holes and they're like, well, you know, I've been picking my kids and going down and they're like, whoa, your kids go to this? What, is that the type of school they go in there? And then based on that, your, whatever your interest may, may be, you, you can start to build a relationship. And I remember doing this because uh, I, I travel to speak often and I'm always asking them and they always say, hey, you know, if you're interested in such and such, there's something here happening tonight or if you're staying here for two days, um, maybe I could take you to this place. That's what has always been for me. Just those first point of contact and humanizing them. What it's, even if someone that is helping you with the baggage, someone that's holding your sign and any of those things. And for me, establishing cultural fluency is something I learned was people misunderstand cultural competency thinking that they, they need to impose their culture on others. If you're in another culture, you need to think more like a local as opposed to a tourist. You need to be able to humanize them. And the only way to humanize someone is to allow them to fully be themselves. And so I'm like, hey, let me inside your world. And right, and I asked the open-ended question. So th that's what it was for me. I learned that pretty quickly, uh, moving a lot, just in order for me, I mean, in, at least initially, to survive. But then in order for me to feel less like, uh, an, I guess, a, a loner. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's about asking open-ended questions and, and humanizing your, your, your first points of contact. I love that question that you asked, what's your typical day like? That really does open up a whole set of different follow-up questions, I guess, that you can explore. Because 100%. It is fascinating to kind of mentally walk in somebody's shoes for a day that, you know, you're not going to have those experiences. I'm not going to be able to grow up in Vietnam and be a cab driver because I don't live there. So how what what's that life like? You know, what's that person's life like? You know, you mentioned kind of, this idea of adapting to another culture and then going back to what you said about signing the contract with yourself saying, you're just going to be who you are, wherever you are. I was wondering if you actually signed a physical contract. That's no, cool. no. So I have a, <laughs> I do, I'm a very visual person. I have, um, <laughs> I do weird things with myself in terms of like, uh, sometimes I write things out. Sometimes I'll mentally make something. This is a mental contract. I had just finished school and, People that have grown up in a similar way, there's obviously there's the beauty of it. And I, I'm always grateful for my experience because it's made me who I am today. The flip side of it is the mental anguish that comes with constantly, um, I'm using cultural fluency in, uh, as what people normally say, code switching. But when you're constantly like, you know, at some point you get a metaphorical headache. And I remember graduating and if you're in a boarding school, if you ever, if you're Harry Potter fans, you, you think of everything is so contained. It's your everyday life. You wake up, you go there, you go there. And I was just exhausted um, from carrying the labor, the emotional labor of multiple people. And I realized I wasn't prioritizing myself. And so I just said, Ty, this is it. You got to. Yeah, you're enough. <laughs> and so it was a discussion. I just, I said something out to myself. Um because I talk to myself often. And then I just said, sign, boom, there it was. 
That's that's wonderful. I love that. So maybe that's a, you know, sometimes out of these episodes, we come out with these different challenges. And I, I mean, I wonder that I'm kind of thinking if I was going to make a contract with myself, at the end of this, what would that be? What would that contract look like? Something to think about. Yeah, something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not always easy to be your complete self sometimes when you're in another country, though. I mean, I'm an expat living in Norway. And, you know, you want to fit into the culture in a certain way. You also understand that, you know, if you're having a conversation with friends or whatever, they're not going to get your random references from the, you know, the TV show in America that you grew up watching or Saturday morning cartoons, whatever the case is. It's a balance, right? Like you talked earlier about wearing different hats for these different things. And we have these different identities maybe for different things. Like I'm hosting a podcast now. Am I in interview mode? Am I in, you know, me just asking questions? Maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. How do you find that balance? Like as you were moving around growing up and also just being who you are, but at the same time trying to fit into the culture, which is sometimes inevitably denying a part of who you are in some ways. You're like a loud New Yorker and you go to whatever country, you know, maybe when you're being a loud New Yorker, like it, you can do that, but it's probably not going to work very well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, you have to just learn how to be able to listen to yourself and be, be really self-aware. You know, the story I said earlier about me giving a sense of my identity <laughs> and just taking the last name for a little bit before I took back my first name. I, at that moment, even though I didn't know at the time, I felt inferior. But you have to be so honest with yourself as to what your goals are. So if you're navigating different cultures, you have to be self-aware to know this is going to be uh, perceived as this. And as it's perceived as this, I have to make sure if I'm okay with the consequences, right? Sometimes people show up without any sense of awareness and they react based on, you know, limited knowledge of what's happening. And so I had to, uh, one of the things that I learned was listening to myself, listening to an environment and listening to something. Too many people can have different ways again to the same location. And so when I traveled a lot, I realized that respect in some cultures is not the way that I might've grown up with. And so if I did something that is okay amongst my friends and it's disrespectful here, I could be angry of course, because they're like, well, you're misunderstanding me. What the heck was or I could look at it and say, well, you didn't do enough <laughs> um, uh, research at first or understanding to know that this could be disrespectful. And so maybe approach it from a more humble way and say, hey, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, that was not my intention. How can I be better? That then invites like, okay, all right. Obviously, this was an innocent mistake. Let's ingratiate him and let's work on that. And so I, I really had to learn that balance. I, I find that a lot of cultural faux pas happen when there's an there's arrogance and the lack of self-awareness at play where you're like, oh, you should understand me. And I'm like, well, you're in a different country. So <laughs> right. you should understand them. <laughs> yeah. And then that will lead them to understanding you because you're not in the same environment. And, and yeah. it really comes down to that, right? And also just understand you're going to fail. I, I have so many cultural faux pas, <laughs> but you have to get okay with that, right? Yeah. You, you, you have to be able to get okay with that without thinking you are like that you're a horrible person. You're the worst person. I mean, listen, man, you're talking to the guy who once told his entire Norwegian class that he owns a website about spanking. So, 
<laughs> because I pronounced the word for travel wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Oh my goodness! That, that's like a, this is like an episode of a sitcom right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I love so. Well, you know, in some ways, I think you're right. Well, I know you're right about the awareness thing. Like, uh, I think self-awareness is obviously hugely important for just going through life, right? When you're based in another culture, you're living overseas, and you're you're self-aware because you're watching your behavior and making sure you kind of fit in certain circumstances, and maybe you're behaving in a way that you might not at home because it is different culturally. Ultimately, you start to realize that a lot of these constructs are just cultural constructs that happen to be a part of your personality because of where you grew up, but they're not necessarily the real you, your true self. You know what I mean? And I think like for me, moving around, that's kind of what travel has done is created an awareness around these things. And once you kind of start realizing what they are, you can really start stripping away to to your core self. So in a way, the all the external stuff you're trying to do to kind of fit into a place or whatever, you realize it's just, it's not necessarily you. No, you know? but how, but that's what I'm saying. So how about this? Let me, let me word it this way. Yeah, please. I'm ha- I'm struggling. It's just, I, I'm having a hard time summing this up, but I think you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I know what you say. This is what I mean. So when you become more self-aware, you're going to be really aware of, you know, what you need to unlearn. Right. What do you I, need to unlearn? Yes. Yes. There's so many aspects. I always tell this, Pete, I always say, in order for you to grow, you need to find out the toxic elements of whatever traditions you've had and then accept what you like and what you don't. And so I remember growing up, we, we always had, oh, that's just Nigerian. Oh, you just, you know, you just do that. You just just don't question anyone in authority was one of the big things, right? Because respect is such a big thing in Nigeria. And I remember, I was like, you know, what? I think a lot of people in authority do bad things. <laughs> you know, I got to be able to say this. But I had that mindset initially, which is why I didn't fight back with my name initially, that I wasn't doing that. And then I got to a point where I was like, what is what is actually happening? What do I need to unlearn? And I was like, I need to unlearn this idea that if I'm a, ba- I'm a bad person, if I talk back to a, an adult, right? And so for you, any, you or anyone else, you're going to have to find whatever that is for you because you're right. It is based on the constructs. These constructs that we have sometimes create hierarchies, intentional, unintentional, privileges, intentional, unintentional. And with those privileges and hierarchies comes with access. And so if you find yourself, you know, in in different environments with things that go against your morals, or you think they go against your morals, and you're like, do I even believe in these morals? You need to ask, (laughs) you need to ask yourself all those things. And that's an existential question that's going to lead to days and months of answers for some people. But you have to do the work. And that's one of the great things that travel does for you, by the way, because it strips away a lot of your safety nets. Um, I remember getting lost in Greece um, one time and we were, it was my friends and I only spoke, you know, French and like maybe I I was like Spanglish or something. And they, they spoke English and we were just like mixing. No one could understand each other because they were speaking Greek and we got lost from the group. And we eventually had to find a way to listen for what wasn't being said. That means right. Okay. Straight. Right. But it, we, we have to like strip away <laughs> all those, all those things that we, we thought. And that's what happens. And I, I you know, I, I noticed this with the pandemic as well. A lot of people were forced to face themselves and, you know, we get used to having this suit of armor to, you know, hide a lot of the, 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 the parts we don't like to address, but 
if you don't address those parts, the toxic elements of your tradition or what you believe, or if you don't even question yourself enough to know whether you are acting like a version of yourself or being your true self, mm. then yeah. you're, in, you're in an interesting position. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the pandemic certainly forces you inward in many ways, has at times. If you grow up with a certain experience or a certain value set or a certain, like in your case, you were saying like it was kind of really instilled into you that you cannot question authority in a certain way, right? So you could have been somebody who just fell in line and like that was kind of your belief system throughout your whole life. Instead, you went completely the other way. And now it's like, well, one of your core values, it sounds like to me is challenging the system, basically. Do you think that is a repercussion of how you grew up? Like, it's like, hey, well, if the slingshot gets pulled back, then it, you know, that tension needs to be released some way. So by having that sort of experience, you went completely the other way to, to question everything. No lived experience is wasted. I'm, I'm going to say that again. No lived experience is wasted. So anyone thinking like, I haven't traveled, I don't want you to think that. In your lived experience, you're going to find moments that are causing you to just react weird internally. And anytime you have those moments where you have angst or pang or pain or nervous energy, you need to listen to that. And so I just didn't know what it was, but the more I sat with it and the more I really reflected on it, I was like, I've noticed that these moments trigger certain moments. And if you want to change your behavior, the key to change behavior is understanding your triggers. And so, yeah, it was, that was the, the reason, you know, I also grew up under, I, I didn't even draw the correlation of the dictatorships I had grown up under initially at first, but it was, that's all that also played a role. I noticed, I also had weird reactions to things that maybe people were just like, oh, that's just the way it is. And I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. But I felt like I was just like a five-year-old or a seven-year-old. Who was I to say something? And so it, it really came from me just reacting, like you said, to those things. But um, also deciding then <laughs> um, to be okay with whatever the consequences would be with this direction I'm going. Mm. How much do you operate from your intuition versus kind of thinking things out in a different way? Talking to a classic overthinker here. So uh, this is a tough <laughs> question for me. To, <laughs> I'm a tough person. You tell me something I'm like, oh, yeah, but what about? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I, I'm always trying to find the balance between my intuition because I heard something the, uh, a few years ago about how sometimes intuition works with what you feed it. And if you, what you're feeding it isn't healthy, it could be dangerous. Um, but I've gotten better at trust in my instincts as a, as a business owner. I think that's where it's played away more. Uh, we can talk about the entrepreneurship aspect of, of, the, of the things because you and I are both entrepreneurs in that sense where building a business based on an idea that maybe not other people see at first, right? And so I learned how to trust my intuition after the car accident because I realized that I wasn't happy doing what people thought I should be doing. And so I was like, okay, I need to find the intersection of my passion and my ability to trust that I'm seeing a problem. I'd seen a problem of culture divide, and then people didn't agree with me. And then the Trump election happened, regardless of where you stand on it, right? But it, it was clear that there was a division in the country. Then I had all the spike in my business, like, yo, we need someone to figure out how to talk about it. But I was like, I was talking about it since 2012. It wasn't there. If I didn't trust my intuition and stay there, it wouldn't be there. Then the pandemic happened. And with the pandemic, you saw 
George Floyd, anti, you know, Asian um, hate and all these things come about. And that was, again, I, I had to learn how to trust my intuition because there were moments before those moments where people thought, oh, this guy's just always talking about this stuff. It's not really that serious. Blah, 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 blah. And so I learned to trust my intuition because I learned that I was enough. Uh, and I also learned that I wouldn't be happy doing any other thing else. And so I think the universe or God works in a way where if you stay true to who you are, you start attracting those opportunities. And so that that's how it has. But, you know, I, I'm still learning. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say I'm an expert. Look where it's gotten you. Just following what you needed to follow. That's easier said than done. Oh, my god! Of course, you know, because... Yeah. <laughs> There isn't a clear path necessarily. And it's not just other people questioning you. I think you can question yourself a lot, even though you might feel in your bones that this this stuff is important and it needs to be heard and you know it is. Does it mean you're going to make a be able to make a living at it and figure it all out? And, you know, there's the practical side of life. So it's it's not a neat, like what you did is not an easy thing to do to keep following that. I mean, I'd love your advice for anybody that's sitting here listening to this is thinking, hey, you know, I'm, I'm up for maybe reinventing myself in a certain way or, you know, incorporating some more of the things that I love or the mission that I care about into my life or into my business, whether it's a new business or an existing one. What would you tell people? The last two years has really led to a spike of resignations. Um, the great resignation. Asian, great resignation Asian. is what we call it, right? I need my editor to put an echo on that. You know? Yeah. All right. <laughs> the great resignation. Bam. And I think a lot of people are already where you're saying. So it, honestly, it's about deciding to, to, to go against whatever you've been taught. A lot of us thought, go to school, get a four-year degree, and you're set for life. And then we went to school, got a four-year <laughs> degree, and then some was saddled with debt, some didn't get the job opportunities. You realize you didn't like the major, but then it was your third year, but then you're like, I'm not going to do it again. Well, my friends think, my parents would hate me, or my parents are already paying for this. And then you start, see all those things, those things end up becoming other people's narratives. And then you're in your fourth year of marriage, you got this, you know, with someone and you're like, oh, I can't leave now. So that happens often. And so what I would say is, look at, look at whether you think uh, doing what you were supposed to do is work for you. And then really reflecting that. Once you reflect on that, you're going to start wondering to yourself, what could possibly go worse than this? Because, I'm not, you know, when you get to that place where you're like, what could possibly go worse? I am already unhappy. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like where I am. What, what, what more can I lose here? You, it's gonna make you. It's gonna activate something in your heart and head where you're like, "All right, I'm all, I'm up I'm up for this." Now, if you're a very risk averse, what I would do is to start really looking at people you admire. Right, go into the comment sections. I'm one of those people that goes in the comment sections. When you scour through the, the, the trolls, you often find gems and people that you that agree with you. Someone will say something in a video you like, and then you know if you're on YouTube, you can like they have their profile there, and then. You know, I'll reach out and say, hey, I noticed you said such and such. Uh, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking about. Maybe we can have a conversation. You did it with the podcast. You reached out to me and said, we've been in the same space uh, for this long. It's about time we did a, a show swap. And that's why we're doing it here. Find those moments. And, and action 
it, it could be as simple as reaching out to someone that you admire and listening to them. And then they could give you a bunch of tips that you could do to fit around your risk averseness where they might have a course that you can take, right? <laughs> and then you start to build that expertise while you're doing the work. And then you feel better knowing that, okay, I'm going to do this for the next two years. But after that, I have this here, right? And, and it's all that, but just understand that it couldn't get worse than where you are right now and start uh, putting yourself in the environments that you know you could really, uh, truly thrive in. Yeah. Sometimes the hardest person to understand is yourself, right? <laughs> I think it's almost always the case, honestly. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's hard to see. And I mean, you mentioned risk averse, and I, I fell into that category pre-entrepreneur days. And I, I had the awareness to realize, or I just, just to question myself. And I, I, I started learning to start questioning everything. And that kind of opened up a lot for me because when you question your own sort of values, or you're like, am I not taking enough risks? What, what does that mean? How is that holding me back? It just, like you said, it, it changes your decisions. I mean, it maybe puts you into a circle where you're, all right, let me get around some people that, that are more risky or not as risk averse or whatever. Let me get around some of these other people that are living life in an unconventional way. And now to the point where I'm like, uh, almost like a contrarian by nature, right? <laughs> it's almost no, like it's a, a habit you build, right? It's just like, I, you know what? I'm just going to question that really quick. <laughs> yes, it's so true. For better I, or I, worse. You know, I know what's, I don't want anyone to have to go through a near-death experience, but that's why near-death experiences are so pivotal because, you know, before something happens that shakes you up, you're like, ah, I'll do it later or it doesn't matter or you're just too risky. And then when you face your mortality, you're like, what? Life is too short, right? <laughs> I can't not do it now. You can't, it's almost like you can't unsee it. Now, for the reason why I had people really reflect on what could go possibly worse is I don't want them to have to have a near-death experience where there's a wake-up call. It's just a matter of really being brutally honest with yourself. Even if you're making a million dollars, by the way, someone can listen to this podcast making a million dollars. It's not that that's going to make you happy, right? You can be making a million dollars and be unhappy. And you can be making... I don't know, 200,000 and be happier than that person. It's a matter of whether you are in an environment that fully allows you to be yourself and, and whether you're cultivating that. And, you know, for me, I had to move. I moved, right? I physically moved. And I, and, and, and I knew that if I stayed there, I would have continued down that path. And that was something that I recognized after that day. And, so, and I quit a job. I never thought I would quit because even though I hated it, I was like, my visa. But then I was like, so what? Let's say I don't get this visa, whatever. At least I'm going to do something I want to do. I had to let go of that fear, right? So that's going to be different for anyone listening here. And so, yeah. The subject you brought up of unlearning things before and then this letting go, you know, having to let go of the fear. Sometimes a lot of this stuff comes down to not accumulation, but, but getting rid of things, Right. Unlearning, you said. I mean, just you know, letting go. All these things have been so huge in in things that I made and decisions that I made. It sounds like in, in your life as well. To just like, in order to move forward, you had to actually drop some of the baggage. And now I have the now I have the image of the like the old space shuttle dropping the big booster rockets. And see, you, know, you have the off. image of the old space shuttle. I have the image of Elsa singing "Let It Go." So uh, great image. <laughs> 
Great image. <laughs> <laughs> Great song. I wish we could slip that in here, but unfortunately, uh, you know, copyright you know, issues. I don't think I can afford that one. <laughs> well, I want to talk about your work in diversity, inclusion, equity, social justice. I know with uh, UID management. Uh, I'm just reading off the LinkedIn here. It says it's, it's a strategic leadership and consulting firm that helps corporations improve their bottom line by incorporating diversity, inclusion, and social justice strategies. I love that because it's not a separate thing, right? Like you can increase your bottom line and do these things. And I wanted you to speak on that a bit. You hit the nail on the head. It's not a separate thing because yes, people drive profits, but also you need to make sure that people feel like they can you know, truly thrive. Right. And oftentimes people would say, well, no, it's, it's profits of a people. And I'm like, well, if you have a, a healthy work environment, the people are going to be incentivized to do the best anyway. And so you don't want to operate from this place where it's only just fear driven. And, and it's, you know, it's like, you have to do this. I don't care what that is. And I'm not, I don't care how you grow. And so for me, uh, what I realized when I decided to to fo- to you know really focus on my my firm, I I, I feel I figured out that we live most of our lives in some sort of education institution or workplace, and so before you know before becoming a professor, I was like, let me do workplaces first. That way, I can I can impact where people act most of their lives, and if I if I can help change behaviors for the better there, I'll do that. And so when I go into companies, I usually you know just talk to them about hey, what is your Call your company culture like? Uh, what is your recruiting like? And, and and how do you promote people? How do you make sure people feel valued? And that leads to a myriad of questions. So some people, because of biases, might not recognize that they're promoting only a certain type of people, or they have a lot of coded language around opportunities. And I help companies um, unlearn. Since we're, we're using a lot of unlearn, it's one of my favorite words, so I'm glad we're using it. Uh, I help companies unlearn those toxic uh, behaviors that, that don't allow people to grow. Hmm. So yeah, that's what I do. Beautiful. Thank you. What does it mean to be anti-racist and what can we do? Well, anti-racism is, is committing to, you know, fighting against all forms of, of racism in, in a very active format, right? The, the varying definitions of that, but ultimately the idea is to, you know, look at your language, look at your environment Look at the the way you participate in the system, you know, how you vote, how you, you, you educate people, the schools you support, who, and, and then combing through those things that are, you know, dangerous. Um, an example could be hair, for example. You know, I remember, you know, I used to get weird conversations about my hair in, in workplaces. People were like, hey, can you cut your hair? Like, your hair is like a little long or something. And I'm thinking, I've never once thought that I should tell a white person to do something against the natural hair texture. But you want me to put something on my hair, especially for, for black women, to put something on my hair to go against it and straighten it. But because it's under the guise of professionalism, you have that pr- protection there. And so I'm like, oh, if I go against it, you're going to say I'm unprofessional when I'm only just growing my hair the way it's supposed to be. Now, a lot of that exists in multiple places where you go to a store, you see hair and then ethnic hair. And I'm like, isn't it all hair? What's the difference? And so it's all those little subtle things, right? This is, again, all these unlearning things where we've all participated in it, everybody. We don't even, you know, we, we don't take the time to truly reflect what we're promoting. And then in the moments when we're triggered, we start saying things like, oh, where did that come from? 
because we've been, you know, taught that. And so my goal with anti-racism is really just to investigate our behaviors because all of us participate in whatever system we have. Beauty standards is another thing, right? You know, there'll be sometimes you have people, even all of us, anyone, every, you know, each of us might have said something that could be, uh, you know, racist in the sense like, oh, no, you know, I only like light-skinned people. And you might think, um, I'm not being racist. I'm just saying I like light-skinned people. But then where did that come from? And then you're like, oh, well, you know, dark skin, you know, people are like this. I People keep used to tell me that when I was younger. Ah, you're too dark to be this. Or you're not as dark as I thought you'd be. And well, I didn't know what that meant when I was like 12. <laughs> but then I kept getting older. I was like, wait, what does that even mean? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean you're not as dark or you're lucky you're this or you're too dark? I'm like, what? the heck is that and then but it came from somewhere uh i remember going on a date with someone and she said you had a limit and, and i was like what am i the limit of like oh you're the limit of who i would date because the kids won't be beautiful and she said it so nonchalantly and i'm like what <laughs> I'm like what <laughs> and so it's it's all this and i'm not this is not to shame anyone it's really for people to when you talk about anti-racism all of us have participated in in something like this where we said something but it's along the lines of sexual orientation of someone or, you know, being ableist or anyone with a different ability. And my call to action is we all need to really reflect on what we're promoting. Just because just because someone doesn't say anything doesn't mean you don't feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where that's where that comes from. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for that. We'll be back in a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Talk about the use your difference collective. I love that phrase, use your difference. Can you explain how you came up with that, what the spirit is behind that? And if you want to share a bit about your work around that, would love to let people know about it. You're going to love the use your difference story because it's, uh, it's very Norway related. Um, so use your difference to make a difference is my mission statement. Um, 
And it's the title of my book. It's the title. It's what the UID stands for, and UID management. And the UID Collective is a re, a list of resources that people can uh, buy or subscribe to, so that they don't, um, so that they can, you know, I guess, improve on their, you know, being aware of their biases and and uh, being more inclusive in the world. But I came up with that term in the middle of my MBA career. I just moved to New York City, and Nico and Vince, Norwegian duo. Uh, I came out with a song called Am I Wrong? And the song was, you know, Am I Wrong? And it was really dissecting what we were talking about. Am I wrong for stepping outside of the box, for doing all these things, you know? Because we, we've been taught all these things. And I really love the message of the song and as well as the, the, you know, the tune of it. And then and I, there were these two black people. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, they, they must be American. And I found myself, and I did some research now, they were Norwegian. I was like, Pfft. Look at me making all these assumptions. I didn't even realize they were Norwegian. And then I did a blog post where I dissected that simultaneously, my assumption and what the lyrics were. And then at the end of the song, at the end of the blog post, I said, I think we all need to learn how to use our differences to make a difference. And I came back to that and I was like, <gasps> that's it. That's what I've been trying to say. <laughs> use your difference, make a difference. And then I was like, went to, I formed the company instantly. I don't know if anyone's had that eureka moment where you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I just came up with something. So that, that's where it came because if you're a creative, I know you're into music, there's a moment where something just takes over you and you're just like, you don't even realize where it's come from. It's moments of doing the same thing and you're like, that came out of me? And so that's where it came from. I think if we use our differences to make a difference, we have a better world. You know, every single war has been fought, fought because of something different. Oh, a different religion or a different tribe or a different this. So I must eliminate you. <laughs> and so when we have a better relationship with difference, I think we'll be better. So yeah. I love the phrase. It's so applicable to everybody. You know, it, it, it can mean so many different things. Uh, and of course, I love the way you're using it. And uh, I mean, I just think it, it can hit you in so many different ways. I love uh, something like that that's that's concise and short and sweet, but it can mean so much, you know? So well done. I'm glad you wrote that blog post. And shout out to those two Norwegian guys for making that song. Yeah, Nico and Vince. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, thank you. I know. So, but it, that that's the story of it. But, um, you know, I, I and I love your platform, and I know where for those listening. When you listen to this episode, check out you know uh, you know Jason's episode on on my podcast because I'm sure you're gonna learn some new things about him as well. But yeah, <laughs> it's that's what it is. Love it. How do you like being a professor? <laughs> um, I I love it because I'm 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 doing everything I, I wish my professors did. I, I I so I teach uh, communications as as one of the, one of the courses I teach communications, um, and then uh, my students. I'm 32, so my students are in like 18, 19, 20, and sometimes every time I go to class, I'm like, are you like? They'll be looking at me. Like, are you 20s or? <laughs> they're always wondering like, are you sure you're a professor? Uh, he's and then cool uh, to be older. <laughs> Yeah, like I thought you'd be, and then and it's always and, and I love that because it, it's on you know it's again it's like the professor looks a different type of way, but I use it more to redefine certain things. I I I'm not shy to tell my students that look if you don't graduate because you find a, a passion you want to do that doesn't make you a failure. I would support you. And they're like really? Like yeah, 
<laughs> of course. You know, just because I'm here doesn't mean you should do that. It's another thing you should unlearn. I'm only here to teach you how to communicate your idea, right? I'm teaching communications. And then I remember one day one of my students asked me, hey, do we have to dress up for speaking? And I said, no, just dress up in the best way you can. I normally wear suits anyway, but I was like, no, I wear suits because I like them. And sometimes I wear a sneaker or wear something, but you should wear something you feel comfortable with. And the whole class dropped. They were just so silent. You could hear a pin drop. They, they thought I was tricking them. And I said, no, I, I, I can't de- define what that is for you. I know a lot of people disagree with that, by the way. But I just use my classes to give them tools that I feel like will be translatable for any skills that they want to do. And I don't want them to ever feel shackled. <laughs> and, and that's why I decided to do that, by the way. That was my sole mission. Change curriculums and ideas of what people think things should be. Mm. Well, I mean, you mentioned tools. What are some of the best ones that you've recommended to people? Uh, well, even just with how people refer to themselves. All my, I, well, in my life, everybody knows I'm always saying kings, queens, and royalties. Um, but even just referring to my students as kings, queens, and royalties, they're always like, I remember one student emailed me and said, I've never thought of myself as a queen before. So thank you for allowing me to have that. So that's a tool there where you, in a sense of how you see yourself. I don't know how it was for you in college, but for sometimes in college, when you, you feel like you're, you're dumb or smart based on a metric that has, doesn't really have anything to do with you, it can really play a role in how you see yourself. And so for me, the number one tool is giving them platform to tell the stories. A lot of the assignments that I give them have to do with their unique stories, not the stories that they're, they're supposed to tell. Like, hey, you know, tell me your own. What was it like? Uh, growing up, tell me about your family. Um, I want an assignment based on how you found out what you want to do, or your grandma, whatever it is, or something very important to you, right? I always ask those type of questions, and then that's just an assignment. And they're like, wait, this is a real assignment? I was like, yeah, because if you learn how to communicate this, you're going to be unstoppable in the world. And so that's what I try to do with my my students. Um, and yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> you sound like the coolest professor I never had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I just try to be um, the person that I, I, I hoped I, I had growing up. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You mentioned building a platform and you've built a platform to share your stories and to use your difference to make a difference. So if you want to share right now with everybody where they can find you, you know, anything else that we might have missed with what you do. I mean, you do a lot of things. So no, I, yeah, you I, can find I, everything. <laughs> no, the digital home is where you can find everything. Tyroxin.com is the digital home. So if you go to Tyroxin.com, um, you'll have everything. If you search Tyroxin, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one, at least on the internet. So we will uh, you link find in the my show notes, of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's you can find my LinkedIn, my um, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. They're all uh, under the moniker Tyroxin. And um, UID Collective is is also my website, which is the uh, is a membership for you to just uh, improve on your cultural competency. But if you want to get the book, use a difference to make a difference. Yes. <laughs> and as told by Nomads, the podcast, since you're a podcast listener, which is wonderful, Almost, I think you got more than 600 episodes now, actually, which is pretty, yeah. pretty incredible accomplishment, especially given all of the other things you have going on at the same time. So congrats on that. Podcast rocks. Thank you. Podcast rocks. And you're going to be 614. So um, 
Oh boy. Yeah. Time yeah. to turn the tables, huh? We better get up. We better end this one then. <laughs> no, I appreciate your time. I hope we can I hope we can stay in touch and do this again. Yeah. This was a blast. I would love to. Love to. Thank <laughs> you right. for having me. Take care. Take care. There you have it. Thank you so very much to Tayo Roxon. And please check out his podcast, As Told by Nomads. What a wonderful conversation. Can't wait to have him back on the show at some point. So much going on. So much to think about. So much to kind of take in and digest. I'd love your feedback on this or any of these shows as well. Let's make this a two-way conversation, please. You know, this is a community-powered show. I'm making this show for you. So I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. You can also leave me a voicemail. I'll leave a link for that in all the show notes. Super easy to do. Only takes 60, 90 seconds. So spend a moment if you haven't and check in. Let me know your story, what you're up to. If you got any guests you want me to bring on, episode, topics you want me to cover, anything like that. Again, this show is for you, obviously. So I always welcome your feedback and will do my best to accommodate and to serve you, my friends. Now, let me give a quick shout out to somebody in the listening community here. Anna, she wrote me an email, getting ready to transition to travel. Hi, Jason, big fan of the show. Just discovered your podcast a few months ago. Have really been enjoying all the travel advice and insights. Came across your transition to travel episode, which struck a nerve. I'm in the middle of preparing to quit my job in finance in New York to travel for a year, maybe more. Or dare I say, forever. (laughs) Ooh, dare you say forever, Anna. I love it. She goes on to say, currently going through the process of selling everything I own, a very very freeing experience, and wrapping up loose ends to make this dream of mine a reality. First stop, Thailand. There are definitely many moments of doubt. Am I doing the right thing, giving up my life in the U.S. and pausing my career that I've worked so hard to build? But hearing the stories from your podcast gives me confidence that even if this is a crazy plan... At least I am not the only one doing it. Most of all, I'm just excited to pick up and start traveling. All the best, Anna. Anna, congratulations. Exciting changes. I love what she said here, too. At least she knows I'm not the only one doing it. (laughs) There is solace in that, isn't there? And that's one of the best parts, I think, about this community here is the fact that our quote-unquote crazy plans don't seem so crazy when we know we're not the only ones doing it. So I wanted to share that. So if this is you and you're pondering a transition to travel or maybe you're out on the road living some unconventional life or whatever the case is, whatever you're planning next, remember you're not the only one doing it. Probably somebody listening to this right now that is is doing some version of that as well so we can all feel better about our our quote-unquote crazy decisions here. (laughs) Congrats, Anna. Good luck and keep in touch. Now, these takeaways I wanted to share. First of all, the challenge that came up during the interview. I love this. What does a contract with yourself look like? I am still pondering this, and I feel like by the end of the day, I want to come up with an answer to that question because we spend all this time writing back emails and you know doing this, that, and the other. Sometimes it's, it's difficult or, or we just lose sight of the fact that we need to make a little space for these bigger questions. And I love this exercise because if you think about creating 
an actual contract. If you were going to spend a little bit of time just writing a paragraph or two, making a contract with yourself right now in this moment, doesn't mean it's not going to be amended, right? But what does that look like? What does that mean? And I wonder how creating a contract like that, like Tayo did with himself, could potentially change our lives today, right? Just some food for thought there. If you want a little challenge coming out of this, then go ahead and make a contract with yourself. Let me know what that looks like. Send me an email. Drop me a line. That's how we kind of can motivate each other, keep each other accountable. I also want to share my favorite quote from this show, which is, no lived experience is wasted. I loved when he said that, and this really makes you feel a lot better sometimes about some of your past failures and things like that. This idea that no lived experience is wasted, something else to ponder. And lastly, to tie this all up with a bow, I usually leave a quote from the quote drawer, but I'm going to leave a quote from Tayo today, which I think is something that we can all use to make the world a better place. And we all have that power to do it. And that's his tagline. Use your difference to make a difference. Use your difference to make a difference. What a great and powerful way to step into the world each day. How can I use my difference to make a difference? Think on that. Enjoy your day. Smile. Take a chance today. Use your difference to make a difference. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time, my friend. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.